I've been thinking a lot about biological determinism recently. Now, it it sounds like a bit of a mouthful, but it's not really. Biological determinism... So, biological is just biology. So, anything that's to do with biology or anything that's biological is to do with life. And by life, I mean anything that's alive. From a blue whale, to an ant, to a human, to a leaf, to a blade of grass, to the root of a plant, to a fungi, to a bird, to a bear... Anything that's alive falls under the heading of biology, basically, and is therefore, if you're talking about it, it's, it's a biological conversation you're having. Your, your conversation is about biological things. So that's biological out of the way. Determinism, then, I'm going to pull up a definition here. Determinism is the philosophical view that all events are determined completely by previously existing causes. Okay, now, a good visual conception conceptualization of this is the domino effect so you know that thing where you you knock the domino and it falls and hits another domino and it falls and hits another domino and it falls and you get the fucking gist of it okay it's a chain reaction essentially but the idea being that the fifth domino or the tenth domino or the 15 millionth domino it doesn't decide to fall and it doesn't fall because the first one fell or the third one fell it gets knocked over and each piece it just gets knocked over a hundred thousand pieces might fall but it's a hundred thousand individuals falling and only one domino ever pushes another domino so it's just that the preceding event creates the next event and that's just a, a loop, basically. So biological determinism is basically that domino effect, but uh, observed in nature, in life forms. So a real base example here would be you've got an egg in a nest, and the next thing the egg starts fucking moving and vibrating, and something pokes its beak through it, the, el- the egg breaks apart and out pops a chick. Now, the only reason that that happened, it is like the, the chick had no, had no part in putting the egg there, okay? The mother bird laid an egg, and then the next thing happened. And that chick is sitting in its nest, and through no fault of its own, it's fucking starving. And then its mother comes along and drops a, a worm in its beak, and he swallows it down and goes, happy days. But the only reason that it chirped was because it was hungry. Now it's satiated, it won't chirp. But the reason that it's not chirping is because of the previous event. It's been fed. So, egg was laid. That made the bird or the chick hatch out of it. The chick chirped because it was hungry. It got given a worm. Once it was given a worm, it was satiated. So it stopped chirping. The reason it wasn't chirping was because it's been recently satiated. As soon as that energy is consumed and the hunger pang kicks in, even the hunger pang kicking in, the bird didn't decide to become hungry no more than we do. Our body uses up a certain amount of energy and it craves the next thing. But the idea being, the idea that I'm I'm striving to hammer home is there's always a preceding thing. And I'm obviously giving really base examples of fucking dominoes and chicks coming out of eggs. But our own lives are essentially the exact same. So I'm going to go for a far more abstract 
version. A friend of mine runs a really successful business. Employs a load of people and it's booming and it's doing well. But his dad set it up 50 years ago. So you might think that, ah, my friend's dad, he was the real entrepreneur. But his dad had a business before him. A different business. But my friend's dad grew up in a house where there was a business that had been started during his lifetime and he got to see the ins and outs of it or whatever else and that gave him the drive or encouragement or whatever it was to to go about it himself and then he had his own son and his son grew up looking at his dad running this business so when the dad handed it over to him he had a lifetime experience of running a business now again it's slightly more complicated but it's still relatively base it's it's a this this ain't no fucking degree course and I'll give you another real-world example. So, I don't have the stats to hand because the stats are irrelevant. The specifics of anything that I talk about are always relevant. It's always just the sentiment, the gist, the bones of what I'm getting across. So, apparently, when you're being sentenced, so you've been, char- you've been accused of something, you've been charged, and you've been convicted, and the judge is sitting up in his pulpit or whatever it's called, and he's thinking about what sentence to give you. So he has to give you the, man, the, the mandatory five years, but he can give you up to 50. And he's sitting there scratching his head going, you know, what does this lad deserve to get? Depending on whether or not he's eaten lunch will dictate to a large degree how harsh the sentence is. Because if he's fully satiated, he'll go easy on you. But if it's before, if it's just before lunch and he's actually kind of getting a little bit hungry, that could add a number of years to your sentence. Now, this isn't just something that I've made up. I didn't bother me whole looking up the, the specifics of this because it's irrelevant. It's well known. It's, I've heard many people, respectable people, reliable, reputable people, repeat this. And it's mad to think that, you know, how full the judge was on any given moment, how that would impact, like, literally what you're going to spend years doing. It's a fucking scary thought. And it should remind us all that no one person should really be given that much power over another individual. But look, the the justice system globally is messed up, to put it mildly. But that's another podcast. Another example closer to home would be advice I got from a barber before. And the advice that he gave me was, never go to a barber or a hairdresser's first thing on a Monday morning. Because what has the barber been doing all weekend? Fuck knows. How are you supposed to know what your barber was doing all weekend? You don't know what he was doing all weekend. But you have a fair idea he wasn't cutting hair all weekend. Because he works 9 to 5 Monday to Friday, say. So if he's had two days off... It takes him and everybody else who does a physical task. It takes him a while to get his eye in and to get a feel for it. So you're going to do a far better haircut towards the end of the week than you are from the start of the week, especially the very start of the week. And I've said this to a couple of barbers since, and they've all agreed with me wholeheartedly. 
Like they're the worst jobs they've do, have done has been on the Monday morning, and that's not always due. It often is, but it's not always due to them being hungover. It's just they're out of practice. The worst person to cut your hair is someone who's been on holidays for the last fucking two months. Avoid that cunt. <laughs> And it's not perfectly analogous to what I was talking about. But it just goes to show what you've been doing recently, how it affects what you do in the present. So what you've done in the recent, in the, what you've done in the recent past affects what you do in the present. And according to biological determinism, you can extrapolate this ad infinitum. And what it essentially means is that we don't have free will. Free will being... Actually, I get the definition of that because it's probably important. Give us two secs. And I'm back in the room. So, free will is the capacity for agents to choose between different possible courses of action unimpeded. That definition isn't any better than what I would have come up with myself, so apologies. Free will is basically the idea that you have that you make decisions. So, you wake up on a Saturday morning and you go, Oh, fuck, right, okay, time to get up. And you get up and you go, okay, I'll have Weetabix for my breakfast or toast or eggs or whatever the fuck it is. And you say to yourself, oh, I better go to the toilet. And then you say, all right, I better go meet your man to do the thing. And I'm going to put on my green jumper, my blue trousers. And, you know, you make thousands and thousands and thousands of decisions every day. And for the most part, we have a sense that we're consciously making these decisions. But people who are biological determinists. They don't believe in free will at all. They think that free will is an illusion. They think, and they don't just think it, they, they, the type of people that I'm talking about here are, are no joke. Like Robert Sapolsky is a world-renowned scientist. I'm not exactly sure what his actual qualification is, but it's relevant, so give us two secs. And I'm back in the room. Okay, so Mr. Robert Sapolsky is an American neuroendocrinologist, researcher and author. He is currently a professor of biology and professor of neurology and neurological sciences and by courtesy neurosurgery at Stanford University. This dude's no fucking joke. This lad is top of the fucking pile. Okay, I'm a huge fan of his, which reminds me, I'm due to do an episode very uh, shortly on people who have influenced me and Robert Sapolsky is fucking one of them. A little side note, he did a really cool um, study on zebras. I think I've mentioned this before. So he was off out in the Serengeti studying zebras and wanted to study a particular zebra because you can't study a herd of zebras very well without knowing what each individual is doing. So he'd be sitting there in the grass looking at a, a particular zebra. He looked down to take a note and then he'd look back up and then he'd go, bollocks, which zebra was I looking for? Because they're all, they all look the same. And I remember growing up, I always thought, I was told, I suppose, or taught that zebras were striped for camouflage, which never really made sense to me because a lion is coloured for camouflage. He blends in with the grass. You can't see the cut. You see a fucking zebra 100 million miles away. But what zebras do is it is, it is a form of camouflage, but it's herd camouflage. So they, when they walk past each other, or even when they're standing beside each other, they can be very hard to differentiate each other. Okay, it's very hard to pick out an individual zebra out of a pack, for want of a better term, of zebras. So what Sapolsky did was, 
I don't know how he got close enough to do this, but he put a marker on the, a particular zebra. I think he stuck a bit of, a blob of paint on the end of a stick and stuck it in a in a zebra and marked it red so that he could identify it basically. And that was great. He sat back down and he was able to observe his zebra and that was great. Until the lions killed it. And he was like, oh fuck, what are the odds of that happening? So he marked another zebra. Guess what happened to that zebra? The lions killed it. He's like, what the fuck is this? So he, you know, I don't know the details of it. Presumably he put a fucking black sticker on it or did something different. And boom, the lions killed it. And what was discovered by accident here was... The lions were able to single out one of the zebras. The lions were able to basically say, hey, Agnes, we'll get your man with the red paint on his arse. And all the lions nodded in agreement and went, right, yeah, your man with the red paint on his arse. Now, another thing that I was brought up to believe was that lions would pick the sick and the weak of the herd. And that all sounds, you know, very gracious and all the rest of it, and it will increase herd immunity and all the rest of it. But I would imagine a lion would prefer to eat a nice, big, healthy zebra as opposed to a weak, sick one, given the choice. But the reason that they seem to go after the weak and the sick and the elderly, it's not that they're easier to catch, which may well be the case, but more to the point, it's because they can be identified out of the crowd. They can, the lions can collectively pick one, as opposed to, all of them rushing the herd and, you know, whichever one they fucking get, they get. Far better to, to orchestrate your, your attack around an individual. Now, this is ramifications in relation to human, in relation to humans. Because creativity is the antithesis of camouflage. Okay, if you want to blend into a classroom or if you want to blend into everybody at work, you don't wear bright pink trousers. You don't... You know, do whatever the fuck artists do. You don't be creative. You do the same thing that everybody else does and you don't deviate from that. Now, creative people can't do that. If they could, they wouldn't be creative people. But that's just an aside on Robert Sapolsky. Robert Sapolsky is an out-and-out social determinist. Not socialist. Robert Sapolsky is an out-and-out biological determinist. Okay? Check him out. Look up Free Will Sapolsky. Type something like that into YouTube or Google and you'll find him. Super interesting dude. But he's 100% convinced, having studied this for God knows how many decades now, fully, totally and utterly convinced that we don't have free will, that we've never made a decision in our lives and that free will is essentially an illusion. And I'm inclined to agree with him. But there are people just as equally educated who disagree with him, who will make the point that we do have free will. And they'll give endless examples of how they've made a conscious decision one way or the other that couldn't have been predetermined by previous events. Now, suppose he goes, yeah, whatever. You don't know the extent of what it is that I'm talking about because I'm sure he doesn't, he'll admit to not knowing the extent of what he's talking about. But he knows it on such a deep level that he's yet to be convinced by anybody of an alternative. Now, this is one of those things like the, the it's called the free will debate. This isn't something that I'm fucking cooking up, okay? This is a this is a, a debated thing in certain circles. And it's a real either-or thing. And like most things, 
when I'm met with a, is it one way or the other, invariably I'm left saying, it's fucking both. But in this particular instance, it can't be both. Because it's either one way or the other. Because they contradict each other. So they can't both be right. But we always, or not always, but we often say, we often frame things like that. But they contradict each other, so they can't both be right. But the assumption that's innate in that is that we as human beings aren't contradictory. And of course we fucking are. We've contradictions coming out of our holes. You, you, can't, you, you can't think without contradicting something. You can't speak without contradicting something you've previously said. Or that you might say in the future. We're rife with contradictions. You know, we, we want six-packs and to stuff our fat faces every evening. You know, we, we, want to, we want to be able to play the guitar or the piano, but, you know, we're not that arse sitting down and actually practicing the fucking thing. Okay, so we're not logical and rational. We're not the logical and rational beings that we like to give ourselves credit for. And we're certainly not congruent by any stretch of the imagination. We're, 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 we're contradictions in motion. But any... Any real... Any real, real scientist, like any real... What's the way of even phrasing it? Any real hard-nosed scientist... Like, you know, a real hard science guy. Like, show me the mathematics. Um, physicists. For the most part, they're in the no free will camp. It's the, it's the straightforward, logical, rational, ego-driven, scientific mind. If you're, if you're that way inclined, odds are you're going to be a biological determinist. But if you're religious or spiritual or soulful or creative or artistic or entrepreneurial more soulful generally you don't see it that way now you mightn't be able to explain yourself as well as you might want to but you just you just don't get it you're just no I just I just don't see it I, it feels too real and they can't be persuaded of the the more sci- the more strictly scientific way of viewing it but I personally don't see why they can't both be both be right or true or correct or whatever whatever way you want to frame it. Another thing that I've mentioned before, at least I hope I have, is this idea of something that can be metaphorically true and literally false. And I think this might I think the whole free will debate might be another example of that. So I think on one hand, I think that I am a biological determinist I don't think free will exists and that that is scientifically true it's literally true it's a fact but I think there's also merit in the idea that thinking that we do have control and have free will and have autonomous decision making capabilities I think believing that or thinking that to be true has massive benefits. Because I don't really know what the the scientific argument for this is, but what's to say that if you don't, if if you come to the conclusion that everything is essentially predetermined, which is what biological determinism essentially means, 
Like if 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 you had enough processing power, you could figure out literally everything that was ever going to happen. If you had enough information, if you knew about all the dominoes. Now, when I say all the dominoes, I'm talking about everything from the breeze that's in the air to the motion of the continents under our feet to the growth of the grass to the amount of particulates that's in the atmosphere above you the the heat that's in the earth's core 2000 miles beneath your feet you know absolutely everything as as a thought experiment you could never gather enough data but a godlike character would you know have it like that if you had that kind of information you could predict how everything was going to unfold Exactly like you can predict how or what's going to happen with a, with a domino's layout. You know, you knock the first one. You know before the second one falls over what's going to happen. Because you can see all the pieces out in front of you. So long story short, I'm both. But I have a better... And it's funny because it's not until I started talking for 21 minutes that I realised... I can better explain the scientific viewpoint. I can better explain biological determinism than I can the opposite. And that's because my background, I've spent the majority of my life as a, a kind of a dogmatic, atheistic, scientific, logical, rational person. So that's, that's my background more than anything. I do have a creative and entrepreneurial bent in me. But the majority of my life has been the logical, rational one. So now what I have to do, having put forward the scientific case, I need to put forward my spiritual, religious, soulful case, for want of a better term. So maybe that'll be the next episode. Who knows? And on that note, I'll chat you soon.